So I really hope that God ministers to you today, every single one, and uh, just draws us that little bit further into relationship with him and, and blesses you whilst we're together. I really hope and pray that's the case. We can continue with our series, uh, Living It, that started at the beginning of the year. Um, and just actually over the last two weeks, I think it is, we've been talking about you know, living the way of Jesus together. How we do that together. So it's living life that, and we're kind of connected into the community of believers um, and just how important that is, how vital that is to our discipleship with Jesus. We cannot effectively follow Jesus and become more like Jesus on our own. That's kind of been the essence of what we've been talking. It's just, it's just not possible. Spiritual formation it takes place within the context of community. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of been the essence of what I've been talking about. Now, if you was here last week, you remember I, I, I just touched on, I, I briefly kind of came into the whole idea that the Bible uses two dominant metaphors. And one of those dominant metaphors when it comes to talking about what it is to be the people of God is family. We're family. And so I touched on that. And this week, what I really want to do is get into that some more. Okay, so I'm going to talk some more today about us, the church, being family together. So community and family, it is just so important to God. It's so uh, precious to God. And so much so, it's, it's like the family, that community is the place where the enemy, where Satan targets and drives in his wedge of destruction. He's right at that place that is just so special to God. And so without further ado, I'm going to get right into some Bible passages if you want to follow, if you've got your Bible. Um, as always, it'll come up on the screen anyway, but let's start, go back right to the beginning. That's a good place to start, isn't it? At the beginning. So we're going to start at Genesis 1 and look at Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. Which says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, in these you know, short verses that we've just read, we're introduced to something really quite unique about the nature of God. And it's something that we could easily gloss over and just not, absolutely not see, just move on very, very quickly. And this unique thing is found in that short phrase, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And that phrase kind of begs us to ask the question, well, who the heck is Jesus speaking to? Or is God speaking to? Who, who's he talking to when he does that? Now, all the scholars, all the clever scholar people, not me, <laughs> all the scholar people, they've got a couple of ideas about what is actually going on here. There's one idea that God is actually speaking to the heavenly hosts. He's speaking to the angelic beings that minister around God and to God right there in heaven. But there are other scholars who believe what I would consider probably a little bit more of a plausible answer to this is that God is actually speaking to himself here. 
He's speaking to himself. Not in the sense, morning, Rob, are you doing okay today? Yeah, not too bad. Rob, how are you doing? I got bad back today, actually, Rob. Not that sort of sense. That's a bit weird. But in, in a conversation exchange, this is a conversation exchange taking place between the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So right here, right at the beginning of the scriptures, we see hints of, and Jesus kind of clarifies that later, that God here is being imaged in a relationship, or as a relationship, a community of three-in-oneness, if that's the right word, a three-in-oneness. God himself existed in community in this wonderful relationship, this family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's this conversation that takes place in that context. And God is saying, hey, shall we make humans? <laughs> you know, these relational beings just like us. Shall we go, shall we do that? That's kind of the way I read it anyway. Sort of. Shall we? Shall we do that? So first off the block, first of all, it's this beautiful reality that's central to the Core, the, the core of who God is, is relationship, is community, is family. And just as community is central to who God is, so, so to, you know, to us who are in God's image, that we are also made uh, for community. But very, very quickly in the story, what we see is that community, this family unit, is the thing that is targeted, it's challenged uh, and this is just a couple of chapters on. If you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3, it says this in, from verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. Uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And then he said, this is God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman that you put here... Uh, here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate it. This is that part of the narrative that most of us, we've read like dozens and dozens of times. We know it like the back of our hand, most of us. It's that place where sin enters into the story. And notice that the first place where sin it outworks its destruction, is right in the core of family, in relation. Straight off, we see that oh, there's all these shift, uh, blame shifting going on. Did you notice that? Adam, in verse 12, first of all, it was the woman's fault that you gave to me. It's like in one short sentence, he becomes this professional blame shifter, <coughs> making this, first of all, the woman the scapegoat for what he's done, and then he makes God the scapegoat as well for what he's done. Thank goodness we're not like that today, eh, fellas? But hang on, the, women actually, the woman actually did it as well. She was blaming the serpent. It's his fault, you know. It's, I, it's nothing for me. Uh, nothing I did. 
But the point is that right at the beginning of this, we see that the family is discolored, it's spoiled. And in this brisk moment, it's distorted by sin. In the very next chapter, and we haven't got time to read it, but Adam and Eve, they have two sons, don't they? Cain and Abel. And we read how just through petty jealousy and just insecurity, Cain ends up killing his brother Abel. Oh, that's dysfunction. <laughs> dysfunctional families, if I've, I've seen it before. You know? But this kind of spiring decline, this breaking down of the family and community, it just goes on and on, chapter after chapter from there. And then we get to chapter 12, and we're introduced to a guy called Abram. And God has a plan for Abraham and this now broken, messed up community of people. And so he's going to actually tell him how it's going to turn all this around. So in Genesis 12, it starts with this. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. So Abraham, uproot, up sticks, get your family together, get all the people, all your people together because we're going. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and, I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Blessing, blessing. It's just all this. You'll be blessed. I'll bless you. You bless others. Those who bless you, I'll bless them. It's all this blessing going on. And a little bit later on, God says to Abram that all this is going to happen through your seed through your offspring. And what, this, is, this is God. He's essentially saying, you know what? I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to start these things over again. I'm going to fix all that stuff that happened back in chapter 3. <laughs> and then, I mean, he never said chapter 3 because it hadn't been written then. But you know what I mean. It's, all that stuff that happened years ago, I am actually going to fix. I'm going to resolve that. And the resolve is going to come through you, Abraham, Abraham, his name at the time, and your family. And so over time, that's what happens. Abraham's family grows and grows. And eventually it becomes this huge nation, which becomes what we know today as Israel. Now sadly, and this is cutting a very long story short, things don't go so well for Israel either. Because of their disobedience and their, they don't they remain faithful to God, things just continue to spiral down and down. There are moments where they have steps forward in this thing, and then they take those steps back again. It's two forward, two back, or three, three forward and four back, or something like that. <clears throat> and so nothing really changes right the way through the Old Testament. In this whole fixing of these relational breakdowns, sin issue but then Jesus comes along and so then we turn to Luke Luke chapter 8 and this, this is the point where Jesus has started to become quite popular he's still not far into his ministry but he's become popular and there is large crowds crowds that are following him and they're listening to his teaching so verse 19 says now Jesus Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him but they were unable to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They wanted to see you. Now look at Jesus' response. He replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. My mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus is making it quite clear that he considers followers 
his followers, disciples of Jesus, to be his family. He's saying, hey, you know what? Whoever you are, no matter if you're you know, related to me, biological, actual blood relatives of mine or not, you are still brothers. This is my brothers and sisters. Right at the center of uh, Jesus' teaching and the vision, uh, Jesus' vision of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is God calling us together into this thing called family. And what Jesus was saying here was really provocative, by the way. Um, those that are around him would have absolutely picked up on this. Um, those around him were mostly Jewish people listening in. And so what they were hearing Jesus say when he made that statement was, do you know what? You can be Jewish and not be in God's family. That was like, you what? No, 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 they must have been listening to him thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? And then taking that a little bit further, they, were, they could be hearing Jesus saying, and you know what? You could be a Gentile, a stinky Gentile, a non-Jew, and you can also be in the family of God. This... This was completely ludicrous to the people that were following him and listening to him, some of the Jewish people there. And often we, we miss that when we're kind of reading through these, these narratives. But right here, there's this massive shift, a real change in the, uh, in the theme, in the rhythm of God's story here. And Jesus, I mean, nobody was saying it this way. Nobody was thought this way. Nobody taught this way at Jesus, in Jesus' day. At last scripture. Um, they, they, by the way, we could have spent like five hours just looking at scriptures about family. I pulled out a few. Um, and I know we're going to run over time, so I apologize already. But Galatians 3, 26 to 29 says, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You put Christ up. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. This is going back to that promise again. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul's message. It's totally in line with what Jesus was actually saying. That if you're a true follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, you know, an apprentice we've been calling it, uh, to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Chinese, Malaysian, Eastern European, African, thoroughbred British. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Do you like the way I said that? British. I feel like I should run for office or something, you know. Uh, officially, you are now the family of God through placing your faith in your trust in your confidence in Jesus the problem is of course is when we start using this sort of language when we start to talk about church as being family it's not always a nice squishy nicey gooey thing for everyone the family which is that place where we receive most of the, the narratives, the stories, the messages about who we are and how we kind of fit into the world. Um, that wasn't necessarily a great thing for every, every person here. Sometimes those messages, they could have been positive, very affirming and full of truth. Uh, but of course, they, all those messages could also have been very negative, very destructive and just plain lies, untruth. 
<laughs> Even in a small gathering like this, the word family has just such a diverse set of connotations. We kind of view family so differently. Many of us have found ourselves in stories, in those sort of family stories that have really been messed up by sin and ruined by sin as in pain and selfishness. Um, and the thought of doing family, doing church as family or being family here, often produces a response, eh, no thanks. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I've had family up to, up to here. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and I just think it's a sad reality, isn't it? That, that, that way we, what we experience from our siblings or from our parents can actually shape how we love Jesus and shape how we love other people. That's really sad, and it's true. And so I, I just, at this stage, I just wanted to say that I recognize that for some, this is great. I just love family and all that intimacy, closeness. Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. But for some, do you know what? It's really, really hard. This is a really hard uh, thing to, to take. And so for those that find it hard, they're going to have to work really, really... They find it, if they find it difficult, they're going to have to work really hard at it. Not that we all, we all have to work hard at, at relationships. But for those that struggle with that image and what it actually is, they're going to work super hard. But you know what? It is worth it. It's worth it. Because I think that community is where, well, I believe, this is where Jesus did most of his best work. <laughs> it is some real special stuff within the context of family. <clears throat> it's in that place where we are shaped and you remember last time I was talking about it being the crucible, it was a quote, the crucible, the melting pot. It's there where we are forged and formed into the likeness of Jesus. So participating in community then is just kind of part of the deal of being a follower of Jesus. But what I just wanted to do this morning is briefly just expose some of the things that kind of cause us to feel stuck somewhat in this whole thing of relationships and, and family within the church community. They're kind of barriers. They cause us to think, maybe say, I'm unwilling or um, I just don't feel as though I'm able to enter into this thing called community. So I'll get some barriers. First then is in relation to safety. Safety, even within a community like this, people don't necessarily feel safe. And what I mean by that is, you know, I just don't feel as though I've got the emotional freedom to be open and vulnerable and to share who I really am. Some people feel that way. And it may be because you never had the emotional freedom to express yourself in, in your growing up, in your past. Maybe you had parents who were a bit overbearing or, or whatever, or parents who just them themselves didn't know how to express intimacy and display their emotions. And so it's kind of learnt behaviour. We learn from our parents how to behave and we kind of say maybe it's better and it's safer to actually keep people at arm's length emotionally and we kind of put up we'd rather put up those walls uh, defensive walls rather than share who we really are now it's my deep desire and Angela's deep desire it's our deep desire that Vineyard Community Church and we called it that for a reason Vineyard Community Church would be a place where all of you, all of us, can find that safe place where we can open up and be ourselves and share who we are. That place where we feel supported and loved and accepted. Where your feelings and your, your opinions are valued and they have worth. Now hear what I said. 
It's our desire that it be a safe place. I didn't say perfect place. <laughs> a safe place. Because everybody needs a safe place. Now this is the thing. Speaking to all of you here who, you know, there's this whole engaging intimacy, closeness, oneness, family thing. Yeah, it's just easy. I love it. What I want to say to you is your job is to help cultivate those spaces. <laughs> That, that's your, your role. As followers of Jesus, it's your role, and our role then, to make those spaces available to people that struggle with that. Because we wouldn't struggle with that, maybe. And God has brought us through that. But that's your role. And so I just want to encourage you, encourage me, into that role. I call you into that role this morning of being uh, cultivators of safe environments within life groups and within tie groups or whatever context um, we come together in. The next barrier is related to communication. This is a biggie. <laughs> communication and ways that we communicate can be a real big deal for many. Um, some people, even some people here, they don't really know how to communicate well um, with others. And they fear coming across saying the wrong things at all the wrong time. I mean, this is a biggie for me. You know, somebody who I don't hear very well. So in community, in connection with others, you, uh, there's that fear. Am I sounding stupid? <laughs> am, I, uh, am I actually contributing to the convo here, you know, or not? Am I missing some? Have I slipped behind? There's just all those sorts of fears. But for others, maybe you grew up in a home where communication was mostly expressed through yelling at each other. People were yelling. Or maybe you grew up in a home where there was next to no talking at all in your past. Maybe you grew up in an environment where the most often used form of communication was passive aggression. Have you come across that? Passive-aggressive people? Passive-aggressive people. They're uh, people who are never really honest and open about how they really feel. <laughs> okay. They're passive-aggressive people. It tends to come over in kind of sarcasm, subtle, indirect hostility, stone-cold silences. Are you okay, hun? Yes, I'm okay. <laughs> And you know by their demeanour something is not right. And they, don't, they just don't come out about it. And they just, yeah. but there's all these other things. And you just go, please, just tell me what's wrong. <laughs> uh, I do all the time. Uh, patience is what God is working into me. And so maybe you've kind of experienced that in, in people. Maybe that's you. You struggle with kind of holding back or expressing you know, anger or uh, whatever emotion. And so for some, there's this kind of fear that you associate with communication, and that has a powerful effect on how you connect with other people. Another barrier I've got is conflict. Ooh, this is another good one. Conflict. How, who knows that within every relationship, conflict is inevitable? <laughs> conflict is going to happen everywhere. In fact, I would say, if you haven't had any conflict, it probably means you haven't had any intimate relationship for a while. <laughs> Within families, conflicts happen, right? And sometimes they're just small things, you can kind of just brush it off, but sometimes they're not so small. And there are generally two ways that people respond to, to conflict. Fight or flight. Have you heard this? Fight or flight. You know, there are some of those people, I just want to head 
and face his dead arm. I'm just going to, you know, roll up their sleeves. <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah, I just want to tackle this thing, this disagreement, this conflict. And yet there are those who will do everything in their power to avoid conflict altogether. I should run the other way. If I'm really honest, I lean more towards that second one. I don't like conflict. I try to avoid it. And I guess most of us, not all, many of us do. You see, for some people, conflict is like full-scale war. (laughs) It feels like war. And what's war mean? War means pain and injury and trauma. But this is a truth. Experiencing conflict doesn't, it's not a signal for the end of relationship. It's not the end. It's possible to actually push through conflicts. And actually, sometimes pushing through conflicts creates more intimacy afterwards. You feel, I, I know it's not that you feel that way at the front end of conflict, you know? Sometimes it just feels, man, this is destructive. But again, you know, if we can push through. And maybe with the help and the guidance and the wisdom of others, you know, bringing other people into the situation, we just have to know there's something better at the other end of this. Conflict, you know, it's such a big deal. And so much so, I, next time, not next week because it's thingy, but the week after, we're going to talk about conflict. That's what I'm going to come and talk about, how to have a good fight, have a, have a good fisticuffs with each other. So. Fourth, Barrier. Expectations. <laughs> Expectations. They are funny things. They are really weird. Generally, they're good. Their expectations are fine. They never really raise their head until they're not being met. <laughs> hey, married couples. <laughs> they are dormant until the point that they are not being met. And then when they're not being met, men, they are trouble. <laughs> You see, expectations, when they're unmet, the result often is disappointment. And disappointment is just a perfect breeding ground for resentment and anger and bitterness. Now, this is uh, the reality. In relationships, we all bring with us bag loads of expectations. We all bring them. And most of the time, we don't express them. So guess what? It's most likely that they won't be, they won't be met. They will they'll be failed. But those failed expectations, they shouldn't have the power to determine whether or not we stay in and participate in community or family or not. What we need to do is to take care to manage our expectations, to talk them through with others. Again, ask, seeking God, his wisdom through his word and through others here. At the end of the day, God has made us with a, a, like expectant a, in our nature. But the thing is, what we need to do is to take care not to be ruled by our expectations and the consequential disappointments that come when they're not, they're not met. So that is kind of just like for chief barriers. There are more. That's not an exhaustive list of barriers, but they're kind of ones that we will most likely encounter in our time in our community. So what do we do with all these barriers? Well, we need to choose a bunch of things. We need to make some choices to break out these barriers. First of all, we need to choose intentionality. We need to choose intentionality. That means you need to decide. I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually go and do this. I'm going to trust Jesus. You know what? I'm going to go and set aside all my fears. And you know what? Making that decision, that choice, is something you probably have to make week after week after week. 
You have to choose to participate in community. And this means deciding ahead of time. This is it. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to, commit. I'm going to be in on this. It's like turning to these people and saying, yes, these are going to be my family. And I'm going to do this thing called community with them. I am going to do it. And it sounds like a real small thing. But you know what? Intention is really, really significant. Setting our intention. Many people just don't they, they never set their intention on anything. But actually deciding to do something is a real, real big thing. Uh, and you know what? I have to do this every week. Not that you're not nice people. <laughs> it's just for my disability reasons, I struggle with community. And yet I know God has called me into the community, uh, into community. I know it is good for me, and I know I need it. And so I have to decide I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to meet with these guys. I'm going to make them family. I'm going to commit to them and them to me. More on that in a bit. The next choice we've got to make is choose to come to terms with your expectations. <laughs> Evaluate what you're expecting from your community here. So asking that question, what is it that I want? What is I'm expecting from everybody here? Is it realistic? <laughs> and then adjust. <laughs> adjust. We have to adjust our expectations or compromise is another way of saying it. And that, I think, is a great place to start with expectations. Compromise. You know, when I turn up each week here on a Sunday, I expect that I'm going to be brought a nice cup of caramel latte with extra cream from Costa. That's my expectation. And nobody does. <laughs> nobody does. Oh, and by the way, I've never expressed that expectation to anybody uh, anyway. Oh, you got it. You brought it. Okay. <laughs> but I have this unmet expectation. And I think to myself, isn't that weird? That nobody cares. It's just like, they don't care meet my expectation okay I'm kind of making a joke there okay I, I would like the latte but <laughs> kind of making and it sounds a bit stupid but replace latte with your expectation what your thing is and so often they are only small things like that and even only small things like that can actually stop people from engaging in community but what we have to do is we have to establish healthy realistic expectations. And then also remember that nobody else around here is perfect. <laughs> we're, not, we're not perfect, are we? And so as I think about my unmet latte expectation and I reevaluate it, I have to think and I have to understand what is it I actually need from this community as opposed to what is just my expectation. Because sometimes those things are two very different things. Have you noticed? <laughs> so, next one. We've got to choose hard. Choose to work hard. It's a choice we make. I'm going to choose to work hard. Doing community, being family, is hard work. And the problem for most of us, we don't like hard work. We want it easy. <laughs> we want the destination, but not the journey, <laughs> as I heard somebody say. You know, when Angela and I were going on holiday, every now and again, we're kind of fortunate enough to go and fly to another country. And Ange hates flying with a passion. She just hates it, every part of it, taking off the turbulence, the going down. She hates it, but she puts up with it. 
And she pushes through that hate, dislike, fear or whatever because she knows the destination. She knows where, where we're heading. And it's the same with our relationships within community. Good, healthy, godly relationships, godly family is our goal. That's our destination. And the journey towards that, you know what? It might be a bit lumpy. <laughs> we might experience a little bit of turbulence along the way, but... There's no avoiding the journey. We can't avoid it. You can't have the destination without the journey. And so what that means is, is that there are going to be times where we need to press through our fears. All those fears of rejection, fears that people aren't going to give me the time to express my needs. People are going to fear that people are going to think I'm stupid or whatever. Um, and often the only way out of this is going through it. I've heard somebody say that. Often the only way out is to go through. Sometimes we need to reject all those thoughts that say, oh, I, can, I can scoot around this one. I can, I can avoid this one. After all, I've been busy. I've had a hard season. I hear what you're saying. I've had a hard season too. I've had a hard couple of years. Um, and I know what you mean. But I just want to encourage you and I want to encourage me again to choose to work hard at this. Make it your choice. Next choice is choose to, uh, to agree or acknowledge that Jesus' way is better. It's always better than our way. I mean, this sounds really simple, right? But actually, it's harder than what we, what we think. Um, there are times in our journey when following Jesus where maybe you're, ex- I don't know whether you've experienced this, you have to decide on something that Jesus is telling you to do uh, and yet you're not convinced in your own intellect, in your own thinking that this is your, in your best interest. <laughs> have you ever been there? And so we have to acknowledge, well, his way is always better. And yet sometimes what we have to do is we live through the reality of his ways is better than ours before we actually experience the benefit and of, of what he's calling us to into a commit to so this then is essentially doing something because we know it's right the right thing to do as followers of jesus because it's his teachings after all that's what we call ourselves don't we followers of of jesus and sometimes that's going to require us to actually give our pride a good thumping you know when we say i know better we got to bury that one um, and choose his ways over our way I think the last one is choose to commit to, broken, to a broken community with broken people. Choose to commit to a broken community with broken people. What we need to do is to get out of this mindset that everybody else in this thing called community, in this thing called family then, has all got it together and I'm the only one that hasn't. I don't know why it is. When we come into community, we often do that. We kind of look at each other and we just like get this mental image we create this crazy picture look at them and their perfect life and their perfect marriage if they only knew what i have to go through um we look at others and and compare ourselves and we build that picture up of how they are yeah i think it's just a real good reality check every now and again to say to yourselves you know maybe these people here they're not who i imagine them to be (laughs) They're probably as messed up as what I am. <laughs> and that's the truth. You know? <laughs> so when we do that, when we choose to commit to people, and we're realizing that actually 
None of us have arrived yet. I've said that a few times in this series. None of us have arrived yet. In fact, what this is then is a mutual commitment with, between broken. I'm committing to them. They're committing to That's what it's about. And so just finishing, we, um, all of these things, they kind of form what it is to be followers of Jesus, disciples, apprentices of Jesus. We are people who are called to practice community. And, and do you know what? It's not, this isn't friendship. It's not just friendship. We're not just called you know, to be a group of friends. You know, I gathered together with you guys because, oh, yeah, I'm kind of fond of you. I like you and you like me. Or... It's more than that. It's way more than that. It's called family. And in God's family, there's this mutual exchange. And I'm committing to you, as I say, you're committing to me. And we're saying, you know, I'm in with this with you. I'm in it with you. Through thick and thin, through better and for worse. Or, you know, when things go squarely, because we know they go a little squarely, they go a bit lumpy now and again. We're saying, I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to get out of here, you know. I'm not going to run. You know, when I'm struggling with my, all my fears and my hurts, I won't run, okay? And I need to know that you're committed to doing the same thing. I know as a community, as a church community of believers, I know we're not there yet. But we can be. And we will be. And when we do this, there's this beautiful thing at the other end of it that emerges at the end. It's this thing that Jesus had a vision for. It's this thing that Jesus dreams about. It's called family.